I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, it's Manveen here. Today I'm handing the podcast over to the journalist Emily Sargent for part four of her special investigation – if you haven't heard the earlier parts, do go back and have a listen. She's looking at a fascinating and until now extremely secretive practice that still takes place all over the country, conversion therapy. This is Thinking Straight. Last episode on Thinking Straight. You're lying there by yourself totally emotionally traumatised, shaking from head to toe. No one's coming to see if you're okay. The therapist's idea was that you would work through any issues you'd had, and through that you would then reach your true self, which innately was a heterosexual self. His family believed that being gay was some sort of disease that had to be removed, that had to be got rid of. They'd heard it on radio programmes in the UK. Conversion therapy is any attempt to change or suppress someone's sexuality or gender identity. The kind that most often takes place all over Britain seems to sound a lot like talking therapy, but with a sickening twist. This time, I'm the one in the therapist's chair. You're listening to Thinking Straight, a special investigative podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Emily Sargent. Today, Going Undercover, Part 2. Before we begin, a content warning. The following episode explores traumatic experiences and includes references to suicide. I somehow managed to lock myself out of my own meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's technology, isn't it? That's Carol, not her real name. And for the last six weeks, I've been secretly recording our therapy sessions to find out firsthand what it's like to undergo conversion therapy. Hi. Hi. Um... Can you hear me okay? My internet's been a bit funny. The sessions take place every week over Zoom. You heard the first few conversations I had with Carol in a previous episode of this series. Yeah, no, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. As we progressed week after week. Are you there? Hi, yeah. Oh, hi. 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 How are you? 
How good, actually. I'm busy, busy, busy. It got harder and harder to show up for these sessions. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Nice day today. As the weeks went by, Carol's views on sexuality became clearer. And again, I say this with compassion, but I think the premise is that if you think that you are born gay, then it makes you think a certain way, doesn't it? It makes you think, there's nothing I can do about this. I shared more and more intimate details about my life with Carol. And as I did, my feelings of dread about our conversations each week grew stronger. So when you say feelings of attraction towards women, what does that mean? After weeks of sessions with Carol, I felt I needed to debrief with someone. So I decided to call my friend Susie. She's a stand-up comedian and a podcast host. Hello? Hey. Hi. How's it going? I'm okay. I, so I, I've, I just a couple of hours ago finished my session with my therapist. Okay. And feeling any straighter? <laughs> definitely not feeling any straighter. Feeling a bit sadder, generally, I would say. Oh, God. So today we were talking about my relationship with my dad when I was a child, whether or not he affirmed me enough, sufficiently, physically and verbally. Did mum and dad hug you growing up? Were they affectionate? Um, yeah, my... My mum would have more than my dad. He, yeah, he he didn't so much. Um, I think it's just kind of his his background. Maybe he didn't feel as comfortable with it. What does that mean? So what she says is, dads in a healthy way really affirm. A girl's, a girl, young woman's being. They are affirming them into being. It's kind of calling out of her feminine, your femininity, one's femininity. Mm. So when dad says, oh, you look pretty in that, or I really love you, or you're special, or any of those affirming words, Mm. affirming by touch, is there a difference between getting that affirmation from your mum and getting it from your... Does that do different things for you as as a child and then as an adult? As a woman. Mm. As a girl. Yeah. So there is a gender thing in that, I think, in that, you know, when Dad says, you look beautiful in that dress, or, or you're so pretty... It's just the male affirming the feminine in you and can mirror how you you feel about yourself in terms of how men see you. That is... This is Susie again. I, I think that is so insane. And the weird thing is, I know that it is bananas and it still makes me feel so bleak Mm -hmm. there's this continual interrogation of these relationships which haven't always been easy to be honest so she's going to find something because who has the perfect family but you know my mum had 
some mental health problems when I was a child. And she's like, so that made you feel lonely. That would make you feel abandoned. And it's not, it's not a healthy exploration of how you got to where you are. It's, I can see that you're broken. I'm trying to say that I think just the fact that you're there and you're affirming them and loving them and you're feeding them nice food and you're, you know, helping them socially and you're doing all these things to help them grow up to be healthy and, you know, happy as, as, as far as you can. It's a very different experience from somebody who, I'm not comparing this to you, but I'm saying, you know, from a little baby who kind of gets left, we know that, you know, those babies in the orphanages out in wherever it is, Yugoslavia, and, you know, they did an experiment where, you know, they did, the babies just want to die when they're not picked up and loved and touched and held and affirmed, you know, that they, they just wither away. In one of the sessions, she suggested that my attraction to women was rooted in feelings towards my mother. What are you imagining doing with the person? Are you cuddling up with them? Because perhaps it's kind of maybe a comfort thing, you know, that you want to get comfort from the female, you know, sort of because of what's happened with mum. I'm not I'm not saying it's, it's a definite thing. I'm just exploring the ideas a bit. But mm. if you imagine mum's not being there for you and she's not comforted you really and she's not been present for you, that yearning to have that sort of maternal or female nurturing, you know, could be quite a strong desire, really. Oh. But this is the thing. This is when I said to you, how do you think you're going to feel about your therapist? She's just looking for your weaknesses. The other thing which makes me feel really sick as well is she asks me to go through in really granular detail what it was like having sex with men. And so I've said to her, I've never had a relationship with a woman, but I was in a long-term relationship with a man, which is true. And Except the woman bit. The the woman bit is not true, but I was I was with a man from eighteen to twenty one before I came out, and and that weirdly has been like a really unexpected part that I found really distressing because I think I just kind of when I came out packaged that away. I think I numbed myself by drinking some of the time and and told myself I was enjoying it more than I was. Mm. It was very stressful for you. Yeah, it made me feel very... I think it, it made me feel even more lonely in some ways yeah. because I was just kind of separated from myself as mm. well as everyone else. Yeah. So it's almost like an out-of-body experience for you. It's like you're separating yourself from the actual what's happening in your body. Yeah, it definitely feels... It's felt more like that as I've got older. But I know these are really deep questions, but did you enjoy it sexually? I mean, did you get pleasure from it at all? Were you able to orgasm? Did you actually think, oh, this is actually... You know, because we get, we all have a sex drive, don't we? Well, most of us do. Yeah, I, I never, n- no, I never did. So you're not getting pleasure from it. 
No. Not at any point in any of those relationships did you ever get pleasure, sexual fulfillment from it? No, I wouldn't say so. No. So, I mean, not to be graphic, so the men were just, so they would ejaculate, but you you wouldn't have an orgasm. You would just let them do whatever they're doing, even though it wasn't meeting your needs. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I mean, like, I would fake it and it would feel like a performance, basically. So you might say you've had an orgasm when you haven't, because often they would say, wouldn't they, oh, you know, is that nice for you or whatever, and you would say yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they would ask you if you had orgasms and you say yes. Yeah. Is she seeing how harrowing that experience is for you? It feels to me like she's only seeing it in as much as it's something she can use. She gets me to do reading every week and there was one psychological study which linked childhood sexual trauma to women becoming lesbians as adults. Yeah, but that has not happened to you? Uh, no. Okay. But you look quite distressed. Yeah, I guess it's... It's it's upsetting to read about that stuff, and I suppose my sexual relationship with a man felt really uncomfortable sometimes, so I still sometimes find it difficult reading about women or young children who've been in that position where they've been abused. There's something in it that I do find very uh, upsetting. Mm-hmm. But you don't know what or why? But it's, this is what I find weird with her and which is why she's, I think, so dangerous is that she will have these moments where she seems to be really compassionate and she'll say, oh, that must have been really hard for you. And it's like, well, yeah, that was kind of hard. But the answer shouldn't then be like, so now you can see how things fell into place, that that was hard for you and therefore you developed to be this way. Or like affirming you. Yeah. And being like, it's okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like standing on shifting sand is what it's felt like, that I just thought that I was totally solid. And very quickly, I have felt unnerved by the whole thing. And, you know, doubting myself, because, which is crazy, but my partner and I are both women who've experienced forms of, like, aggression or violence from men, And we're both lesbians. And she's there saying, well, that's why. But look at how many women experience violence from men and don't go on to be a lesbian. Like, it's not, this is not a causal thing. There'd be so many more lesbians. (laughs) The thing I keep coming back to as well is I'm feeling the way I do now. And that's from a relatively stable and secure place. And I cannot fathom how someone who's younger 
would feel. You know, this this might be the first person they've ever come out to, and this is the response that they get. You know, I've been affected by this to the degree that I'm wanting to speak to someone else, another trained professional, and just be like, can you tell me that there is no weight to what she's actually saying? In a moment, you'll hear that I did reach out to another mental health professional. But first... Hi, I'm John Witherow, editor of The Times. Thanks to you, we get to cover the broadest and most important daily news stories. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This we hear time and time and time again that a therapist has believed that the person's sexual orientation or gender identity is some kind of difficulty that has arisen in response to some sort of trauma or developmental attachment that was not appropriate in some way. This is Pamela Gawler Wright. I'm a UKCP accredited psychotherapist. She's also an independent consultant to the Memorandum of Understanding on Conversion Therapy an agreement signed by 20 mental health organisations and governing bodies, which states clearly that conversion therapy in relation to gender identity and sexual orientation, including asexuality, is unethical, potentially harmful and not supported by evidence. I think, Emily, that kind of story about exploiting a person's most vulnerable state and to then 
also to pervert a course of potential healing that a client may have. It's hard for many women to not express that at some point they have been treated with disrespect or violated for being a woman. It's really quite low-hanging fruit to then try and detect where those experiences may be in a person's past, but then to exploit that and to make that be more evidence to try and tell you that who you are, your sexuality, your identity, your orientation, that there's something broken and wrong with who you are. And especially then also, most LGBT people haven't gone through a stage in their life where they would wish that they were straight. It's easier. The world is safer if you are straight. There are certain doors closed to you if you are of a minority. So then you're actually compounding this idea that something was taken away from me. Something that was good, I no longer have. I am a broken person and I am a violated person. And I think that is absolutely criminal. And I think it is correct that we are looking at making this kind of practice something which is illegal and for which a person can be charged. This is a form of psychological torture. And there was a study done, I think it was in 2015, um, of over 1,400 people who had been brought up in a Christian background who were LGBT and who had been subjected to conversion therapy. And one of the things that came out of that study was that the psychological abuses had caused more pain and did more long-term harm than physical abuses or deprivations, that actually being continually told that something in them was sinful, that something was wrong, that something was damaged, that somebody in their past was untrustworthy and had in some way not done right by them, or parents were told that they had caused something in terms of faulty parenting or not being there for their children or being there for their children too much. These kinds of abuses all around trying to justify this unjustifiable belief that says it's okay to be prejudiced against people who are different. And when you think about how somebody would hold on to that kind of a bigotry when they have been exposed to psychological training, then really we need to look at, you know, is is there a different condition that we should look at called homophobia, for example? Does that not show actually some traits of certainly distorted cognition? certainly some inability to manage emotions around fear of difference, certainly some inability around accepting people as they are. Currently, any practitioner who practices conversion therapy is in breach of their professional code of ethics. Now, I must emphasize that that is for overt conversion therapy. 
where the practitioner and the client speak about this being the aim of therapy. What I call covert conversion therapy is much, much more difficult to identify and define. And I think that's going to take time because we need to train people appropriately so that they wake up to the fact that, yes, we live in a society that is still very prejudiced and that people who are of difference still experience trauma of rejection, of shame, of isolation, and that all of those experiences that are caused by an unaccepting society compound into the kind of mental health issues that are disproportionately experienced by LGBT people, such as depression, anxiety, low self-esteem. An important part of some people's conversion therapy is to actually declare themselves cured as part of the treatment. A kind of fake it till you make it concept. And so people who have undergone the treatment are declaring themselves no longer gay or ex-gay because the doctrine is that if you say this enough times, if you live as if you are straight, then eventually you will become straight. So this actually created this sort of momentum of people who were campaigners who actually themselves were struggling and then feeling that everybody else had achieved heterosexuality and that they alone were the the people who had failed the programme. Whereas in fact, of course, eventually enough people will speak to each other and enough people to be brave enough to admit that in fact, they didn't change their orientation or identity. The government, as things stand, have specified that, that it will be coercive practices that are banned. And in the undercover sessions that I'm doing, I've very much gone to this willingly. The woman who I'm sitting with is saying, I can open this door for you if you want to walk through, essentially. And and I've been acting from a place of my 18-year-old self who would have very willingly gone and put myself through this. As I know, the majority of people who undergo conversion therapy in Britain that they take themselves of their own accord and very much submit themselves to it. One of the arguments that has been brought up incessantly is about client autonomy, that if people choose this therapy, then it is their right to have that therapy. Now, one of the things that has come up time and time again when I've spoken to people who did subject themselves to this therapy, that person is not in a state of autonomy. That person is seeking that change because they are afraid, because they are shamed, because they believe that they cannot live a happy and fulfilled life as who they are, or because they haven't yet been able to reconcile their cultural or religious faith with who they are. We need to address that Many people go to conversion therapy because they are in fear of violence. Mm -hmm. Even rejection from your family as a threat and the person who's been subjected to interpretations of the Bible that threaten them with everlasting hell. 
that person is not acting on autonomy. In response to The Times, Carol said, I have never held myself out as a provider of, nor do I offer counselling to any client with the aim to change their sexuality. To the best of my knowledge, there are no UK therapists who have ever described themselves as conversion therapists. The term conversion therapy is an imposed term, is misleading and forces an implied definition of conversion. I took, quote unquote, Rachel at her word and sought to serve her in a bid to help her come to terms with her true self. Next episode on Thinking Straight. I'm the founding minister of Oasis Church Waterloo. We are loud and proud about our inclusion because we think that there's no point in being quietly inclusive. One's beliefs are so vital to one's identity. Even having no belief is also a belief. And that is so important to determining the identity and shaping their lives. And that should be given absolute protection. The commitment is to follow Jesus who sacrificed his life. And we all sacrifice aspects of our lives as Christians. You've been listening to Thinking Straight, a podcast series brought to you by subscribers to The Times and Sunday Times. I'm journalist Emily Sargent. The producer of this series is Leona Hamid, with editorial support from Asia Fuchs. The series is made in collaboration with Story Hunter. The executive producer for Story Hunter is Kirsty Hunter. The executive producer of Stories of Our Times is Poppy Damon. Sound design is by Vulcan Kiseltuk. The next episode of Thinking Straight will be in the Stories of Our Times feed next Friday. You can also find the series in the Reporter feed wherever you get your podcasts. If you've been affected by any of the issues in today's episode, you can contact Samaritans on 116-123 or Switchboard, the LGBT helpline, on 03-00-330-0630, open from 10am till 10pm every day. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes.com at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon 